0: Need a high end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look. Be your own interior designer with big design, small budget. Here's your host, Betsy Helmuth. On Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, I go live on Facebook to share my design tips, to answer your questions, to talk about what's going on in my world. Well, I not only share it on Facebook, now I'm going to be sharing it on my podcast. So today you will be hearing a recording of my most recent Facebook Live. Enjoy. Hi guys, it is so great to be back with you. Do I want to start with anything fun and exciting? Hmm, it's really hot here. We are currently hiring new designers, which is very exciting. We will have a batch and training in less than two weeks. Um, what else? What else? What else? Today I am designing a studio in Midtown Manhattan for a very sophisticated single woman who is looking to live large in a small space. Um, Tomorrow I will be designing for a lady at the one-bedroom apartment single lady looking to live large in a small space. But in her case, her bed is practically the entire size of the bedroom. In fact, there's only one small corridor where you can walk, and the other three sides of the bed are surrounded by wall. So, making that feel decadent, adult, not compromised has been somewhat of a challenge, and we have come up with an unorthodox solution. We are going to empty out her closet, put the bed into the closet so that it's somewhat surrounded by this kind of cozy cove and then do an external closet which will now give her two walls to walk around to walk by and the bed will only be touching two walls so sometimes you have to think outside the box but sometimes you have to think outside the room sometimes you have to think inside a closet so there we go We're kicking it off this week with a question from Danielle. So Danielle writes, Betsy, thank you so much for all your helpful tips. I love your podcast. I am helping my parents redo my childhood home living room, where we are designing on a budget. I have already used a bunch of your suggestions, like Benjamin Moore paint and skipping the accent wall, but I'm hoping you can help with our layout. The room is long and skinny, and the biggest challenge in my opinion is that we have a too large fireplace in the corner raising the ceiling was once in the plan but life got in the way we are trying to find a balance because budget and functionality are most important to my dad while design style and coziness are most important to my mom and myself so here are my questions one what do you think about a sectional sofa in this room all right let's answer that first So Danielle, you have given me two pictures of the space, which are very helpful, but they don't tell me everything I need to know in terms of the sectional. One thing that you want to ask yourself when designing a living room is you want to start by thinking about the biggest piece of furniture in the room. So you're right to be thinking about the sofa or sectional, but then also you want to think about that focal point. And the focal point generally is the thing that is across from that major piece of seating. And it's the thing you want to be looking at when you're sitting on the seating. Generally, in a living room, that would be a television. In this case, and back in olden days before they had television, the focal point was the fireplace. Now, oftentimes that means that people mount their TVs above their fireplace. But in your case, that is something that's not ideal because your fireplace mantle is very chunky. It is very oversized and it's in the corner, which is a little bit unusual. Typically, a fireplace is on the flat side of the wall. But in this case, it's in the corner. And it's so big that the molding of the fireplace almost appears to touch, if not overlap, the trim from a window flanking on each side. I mean, that is huge. Uh, And what you want when you're arranging this furniture and thinking about the two most important pieces, the sofa and its focal point, is you ideally want a parallel relationship. Meaning that if the fireplace is in the corner, Ideally, your sofa would be diagonally oriented, directly facing that fireplace, parallel. And that would really work for you here. And I think it would be a really dynamic, interesting thing to do because we are so used to seeing furniture pushed up against the flat part of walls that having it floating on a diagonal would be a really captivating conversation starter type choice. The problem with it is if you did want TV viewing, because as we've discussed, your fireplace is so big and chunky that it really can't be mounted above the fireplace without you craning your neck so that you're literally in the front row of a movie theater, that kind of experience that's very uncomfortable for day-to-day viewing. Um, But you have not told me that there is need for a TV, so I'm going to assume that there's not, and I'm going to tell you to put one sofa parallel to the fireplace and if that sofa has another arm or not I can't discern from these pictures but that would be my placement of that primary arm or primary sofa your next question is Betsy I hate this fireplace but a complete demolition slash redo is out of the question it is the same color as the flooring which is a wood tone that's kind of a mid mid tone color and it just feels blah should we stain it Should we paint it the same color as the trim? Paint it something different? Please help. All right. So Danielle and everyone out there in Facebook and podcast land, um, people are really afraid to paint wood. Whether it's wood trim or a wood mantle in your case, they're just afraid. And rightfully so. It's a decision you can't take back. It's very hard to strip paint from a surface. Time-consuming, expensive, smelly, you name it. It's a problem. But you should not be afraid to paint wood if it's not in mint condition. If it's not completely pristine, go for it paint it. And this wood around this mantle is causing us several problems. It's making the room feel blah. It's making that piece feel so big and bulky because the dark wood just feels very chunky and in no way recedes into the background. And you hate it. I mean, if you really loved the wood, if it was mahogany, if it was carved by your grandpa, well, I'd try and dissuade you from painting it. But all signs point to paint. And now that we know we're painting it, what color? I typically paint something built in like this, something architectural like this. I paint it the same color as the trim, which is typically a shade of white. And it's typically a semi-gloss finish, which will also help if there's any soot buildup or anything like that, because semi-gloss is very easy to wipe down and clean. So that would be my choice for you, Danielle. A white semi-gloss paint that coordinates with the trim. And don't hesitate, paint it today. Alright my next question came from Brooke and Brooke asks, Hi Betsy, we are taking out some of our upper kitchen cabinets because they feel too big for the space. We have plenty of storage and we are past the sippy cup stage so we can keep it neat and dust free. Do we need to use one or two shelves? Do we need to use the rule of three or are two shelves okay? And do you have a preference as to the color of the brackets and the style? The shelves will be wood and they will be above white subway tile with charcoal counters. There are many choices but some are quite expensive and we need quite a few shelves. We could probably spray paint if needed. Zoinks. But, IKEA does have some wood brackets that are reasonable, however I worry about the strength of those brackets, do you? Uh, Look at the photos below for our bracket options, thank you Brooke. I am excited to hear, Brooke, that you are going to keep these neat and clean because generally people who have open shelving in their kitchen are displaying things that either I don't want to see, sippy cups, mismatched plates, mismatched cups, your ET cup from the 80s, right? Things that nobody needs to put on display but are nice to have. Or the person is a little bit messy. They don't stack everything in perfect perfect order, they don't line up all their cups, and when everything's exposed, people are looking at that. People are looking critically at the way you've placed things, and so you need to be fastidious. It sounds like you are, which I just want to give you a gold star through the airwaves right now. Gold star, Brooke. You can definitely use 3 shelves, but keep in mind that it's going to get very high. There is no strict rule as to the spacing of floating shelves, but I like to think about what are you gonna put on it? And I think it's somewhat ridiculous to have anything that's smaller than 12 inches in terms of spacing. I prefer to go 12 to 18. That allows you to get a good stack of plates without it feeling tight, because remember, you have to get your hand in there to pull out the plate, right? So I would say 12 to 18 would be good. And then if you're doing 12 to 18, you've got 12 that's one shelf. This is the countertop. You've got 12, that's two shelves. And then you've got 36, which is that third shelf, which maybe you'll put things like cake stands or things you're not using every day that would be ideal but it gets pretty high so in my estimation two shelves would probably be the best and I'd probably go for more like 18 to 20 inches between the counter and that first shelf just so that if you want to prepare something under there you're not hitting your head on the shelf. As to color, you know that I don't want you to have a white shelf on white subway tile. And that does add another level of complexity because if you're going to be mounting these shelves, you may very well be mounting them in the tile, which means they can never move. So you want to give a lot of good critical thought to what you're going to be putting on these things because if you decide to use them for pictures in the future, well a 12 inch space may not give you enough room. So yeah, if you have white subway tiles, we don't want white shelving because they're going to look a little bit off. If you have silver handles and silver knobs on your cabinets, then I would do a silver style bracket. If you have wrought iron or oil rubbed bronze, I would do a dark metal bracket. In terms of the shelving, it sounds like you already have a clear direction, but absolutely. I mean, I don't know if you could tell from my my little... um ad lib in the middle of your letter but i do not want you to spray paint anything brooke oh my goodness gracious uh so go for some wood shelves go for some ikea shelves the strength of the shelf is not actually so much contingent on the bracket it's first based on how much weight you're going to be putting on that shelf it's based on how long the shelf is without having support bracket so you want to be thinking about that oftentimes you can read on the shelf instructions or description before you purchase it how much it can hold with those particular brackets so i would highly suggest looking at that because dishware can get very heavy and now it's time for a quick commercial break do you love this podcast do you wish you could learn even more well we have an online class bundle our online class bundle is comprised of three online classes beautifying your home for less styling your home, and the fundamentals of feng shui. Each one of those three classes is between 30 and 45 minutes long and chock-filled with visuals and tips, things that will help you to style your own space or help out with other spaces. Additionally, with the pack of three classes, you get an autographed copy of my book, Affordable Interior Design. You get all of that for only $99. Once again, that's the three online classes as well as the book for only $99. You just go to affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes to buy your bundle today. And if one of those classes sounded intriguing, but maybe you already have my book or some of the other topics are not of interest, you can buy the classes individually at that site as well. Each class is $40. So head over to affordableinteriordesign.com classes to get your bundle or your online class today. All right, let's move to my next question, which comes from Keong. Keong wrote me. Hi Betsy, I'm in the market for a new mattress and bed. I would like to upholster, in, excuse me, I would like to purchase an upholstered bed with a tufted headboard. The mattress that I chose is a latex foam mattress, nine inches high, with a mattress topper at two inches high. The foam mattress needs to be used with a platform or slatted base. I have very high ceilings in my bedroom. I think they're about twelve feet at the highest point. Will a platform bed look too low with such high ceilings or would I be better off getting a box spring with my mattress? If I were to go with that, I would have to buy a separate slatted bed base to put in between the box spring and the mattress, so that just seems cumbersome. I prefer to go with a platform bed because I would not need a box spring, but I am concerned about the bed being so low in a room with such tall ceilings. What is your recommendation? Also, can you recommend a good slatted base that works well with a foam mattress and stays in place and is not too expensive? Thank you. All right, lots of questions, but they can be easily boiled down into just some general things to know about beds these days. Most contemporary beds, most beds that you purchase at places like West Elm, Room and Board, CB2, you know, any place that's not super traditional, like Pottery Barn or Brook Decor or Our House, those companies that I mentioned before that, Those are the companies that usually don't even have beds that can accommodate a box spring. Most contemporary beds cannot accommodate a box spring. They are not meant to be used with a box spring. That being said, what you have, it sounds like, is kind of a memory foam mattress, that latex foam. And it does need some kind of support. In fact, all beds need some kind of support. So if they don't have a box spring, then they have the slats. Now, slats can be, they range in quality. Let's put it that way. I have a couple of twin beds that I got on Overstock.com and the slats broke on both of them. However, I have a slatted bed from pottery barn and the slats are in great shape and everything's going really well so it really depends on where you purchase these and you'll want to check the reviews and of course it's easy to get a slat made for both of those overstock beds i hired a handyman he went to home depot for 30 minutes he came back with two slats and they're still rocking three years later but like i said if you find that you are going to choose a bed that requires a box spring. You don't have to put slats in between. What that latex memory foam mattress purveyor is wanting you to do is to get something with support. So they don't want you to put it on something that's just an open cavernous space because the foam will dip through. But you're not going to do that because beds these days either say box spring needed Or they come with slats. You don't actually buy the slats separately. Typically, all the beds will come with the slats if they take slats. Now, most beds that take slats aren't actually that low. So, when they say platform, that is a type of bed that is a type of bed that's low. But there are standard beds that have slats that are not platform and those are at a standard height now what standard height means is that it means from the floor to the top of the mattress you're at 24 to 26 inches when you use a box spring you're at 27 to 31 inches which is that higher bed and when you use a platform bed that usually doesn't have legs and sleeps very low Well, that would be more like 20 to 22 to 23 inches from the floor. Those are the three standardized bed heights. You have 12-foot ceilings. Now, the bed is on a human level. So even if you have vaulted ceilings that are 30 feet high, well, your bed wouldn't get higher because you can't get in. It's the same principle with art. Just because you have high ceilings doesn't mean that you hang your art higher. It may mean that you get bigger art. It may mean that you get grander art, but you still hang it at eye level because we don't grow. Humans don't grow just because the ceilings do. That's the same case with your bed. We're not going to use a pole vault to get into your bed just because you have high ceilings. So you can still choose whatever bed you want. Keeping in mind that with a high ceiling, you could do something a little bit grand, a little bit over the top. Pun intended when we're talking about something like a canopy bed. Uh, That could be a really fun look, even though sometimes it is a little bit more um, of an opulent or traditional or glam kind of style. Taking it back, my recommendation for you would be to just do that standard bed with slats. Don't do a platform bed because people oftentimes don't want to sleep that low. It has to be a style that you know you want. And then it's going to necessitate really big art above the headboard to give that grand moment that we're looking for because it is so... Um, comparatively low to those ceilings. So Kiong, I hope that helped. I hope that answered all of your ceiling and mattress questions. And let's move on now to Renee. Renee writes, Betsy, I would love to hear you rant about entryways. Must a proper house for hosting have one? What must go in it? There's not a whole lot of room near my front door. And when the family comes up from the stairs from the garage, it's not... Well, that was actually the sentence. I can't discern that, but I understand what you're saying, Renee. So let's talk about two different types of entryways. The first type of entryway is practical right? It's the place where you do come in. Oftentimes for some families it is through the garage or oftentimes in my case we don't have a separate entrance. Everybody enters the house the same way through the front door. And that is the practical type entrance that I'm talking about whether it's from the garage or from the entrance. You need a place to put your shoes, you need a place to put your handbag, you need a place to put the backpacks, the jackets, all that stuff. That's that functional entryway. And if they're one in the same, the hosting entry and the functional entry, well, then they need to have that storage, right? You can't forego the storage because I'm going to have guests come through there because then I'm just going to throw my bags on the floor. We do need some kind of console. I prefer open and closed storage myself, but everyone's entry habits are different. So you may Be very tidy. You may have a closet in your practical entryway that you can store these things in and then you don't have to worry about a storage piece. I myself have no closet and I'm a little bit messy. So what we do is we have a console that has open shelving for our shoes because we can just rip them off our feet and throw them on our shelf then it has doors that hold the sunscreen the um, umbrellas the mittens the scarves so everybody has a cubby that's behind doors for those items that we're using occasionally and then there's two trays on the top one for mail one for school papers and we try and be really careful about not letting those switch or merge right now our trays are a hot mess and it's really giving me a lot of agita but they're color-coded so even my youngsters know oh school papers in the yellow mail in the gray and that is our functional entryway we need that stop gap we also have a bench where people put their backpacks and hooks for coats above it so it's a lot going on. Now, if we're just talking about aesthetics, just talking about gracious hosting, there's a couple of things I like to have in an entryway, but they're not those musts that I just referred to. What I like to have in an entryway is a table, right? Some kind of console table that You could put flowers on. You could put a lamp on. You could put a cocktail on if you're hosting a party and it could be kind of the cocktail of the evening. Uh, I really love it to have a mirror. Now you don't want the mirror directly opposite your entry door because all the good chi that you bring in from your day will bounce in the mirror and bounce right back out the door. But mine is perpendicular to my entryway. So if this is my door to the side, perpendicular to the door i have the mirror and that way guests can check themselves coming and going and you can do the same i also think if you don't want to do a mirror that a compelling piece of art would be really nice a conversation piece if you will above my entry console i have this amazing piece of art from an Etsy vendor, her name is Art Fable and you should check her out because she made a beautiful oil painting of me and my family and it's very kitschy, we're in Coney Island, my husband is the ringmaster of the circus, it's really fun. Um, So anyway, I think having that cool conversation piece, that eye capturing piece, whether it's on top of the console or above the console is a really good thing to do. What else, what else? I like a rug because if they, I prefer my guests to take off their shoes. But if they're not going to take off their shoes or if it takes them a few steps to take off their shoes, I want all that dirt, muck, grime to get caught by the rug. And you may want to consider having a piece like we do, a bench that could do double duty so it holds my handbag, but it's also something that people could sit down on to remove their shoes if that's a request that you have when people come in. You'll need a place for them to sit. So Renee, I hope that answered your question and I'm going to move along to my last question of today's session. All right, Elizabeth wrote me. She says, Hi Betsy and team. Do you think Benjamin Moore Advanced Satin in White Dove is a good choice for cabinets and trim? We only have to work around medium brown floors and we do get sunlight. Also, we have an open floor plan and with our paint color and I've been reading about mushroom colored paint. Can you please tell us what color that is? And we will hire someone to paint the cabinets. I've been listening a lot. Thank you so much. All right. So I do think white dove would be a great choice for your cabinets and trim. Just make sure that you get it in semi-gloss so it will repel stains and you can easily wipe off fingerprints, boot scuffs, etc. Um, in terms of mushroom paint, well, I haven't heard about this trend, and I'm not sure where you're thinking about doing the mushroom, whether it's the cabinets or the walls, but when I think mushroom, I think grayish, so kind of a taupe color that's not a true gray but does have a hint of warmth, but I think about it going a little bit darker, Because I must say, I get a lot of requests for greiges, and I can tell you my favorites that are somewhat light. But for a mushroom-type tone, this is a first. But from the Benjamin Moore paint fan, I am liking Northampton Beige. I'm also thinking that Berkshire Beige kind of looks like a yummy portobello and those are both historical colors because you know whenever i'm referencing colors that i don't typically use i like to play it safe and i like to go with the historical color section because those colors are so rich they're time tested they've been around for eons other rather than the other thousands of colors that switch out and are here today, gone tomorrow. One other mushroom color that I have used many times that I would consider a very pale version of mushroom would be Cedar Key, also from Benjamin Moore. So Elizabeth, I hope you find your mushrooms. I hope you paint your cabinets and trim that beautiful white dove, and I hope you tune in again next week. Guys, it's always a pleasure. Keep your questions coming to Betsy at com. Check out our Facebook feed, and until next week, stay cool. Bye. You've asked for it, and we have answered the call. Bye.